I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf. Hello and welcome again to episode 17 of Inside AgriTurf. Now the pandemic that has spread across the globe this year has brought sadness and disruption to everybody's day-to-day living. Uh, Businesses in many industries have been decimated, but others, including AgriTurf, have continued, albeit in challenging circumstances. So to help me try and make sense of this unusual and unparalleled season, I'm joined by two people with close links to the AgriTurf industry. Keith Christian is the director of BAGMA, the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association. Keith and I first met in the 1970s when I was running a garden machinery dealership and he was a fledgling rep for a manufacturer. He subsequently went to work for a dealership, ran a distribution company, Claymore Grass Machinery, before joining BAGMA in 2007. Martin Rickardson is a leading agricultural journalist. He was deputy editor of Profi International, the farm machinery magazine, then 12 years ago formed his own company, JMR Agriculture, to provide editorial, literature and photographic services for many major tractor and machinery manufacturers. He also regularly uh, contributes to many of the leading farming magazines. Now we're recording this in the midst of the final Brexit talks taking place between the UK and the EU to finalise the details of the withdrawal agreement due to come into force at the end of the year in just three weeks time. But with nothing agreed yet, uh, what are you able to tell your members, Keith? We're putting quite a lot together over the weeks for um, the dealers and posting it on our website, sending it out to them by uh, digital means. Um, and trying to steer them in the right direction for all the help that the government's putting out there, uh, particularly their website um, for transition. Um, We have had a lot of questions, and a lot of them revolve around how do people deal with import-export when they're not used to it. And our advice at the moment is for them to seek out an agent that can handle it for them. Yeah, um, because it can be a complicated process, and it will add cost. Clearing a parcel, I believe, is going to cost something like thirty-five pounds. Mm. So there'll be a different way for people to do things. The bigger companies, manufacturers, they will have people internally that are dealing with this. Yeah, and a lot of the work the dealers maybe need to know about, but don't need to do anything about, will be done by their suppliers. Yeah. Uh, Martin, um, obviously you deal with a lot of manufacturers. What's the mindset out there at the moment? There's a, a terrific amount of uncertainty still, I'm afraid, particularly among those obviously who, who import uh, goods into the country. Those who produce domestically have got their own, uh, their, their own worries as to how uh, this is going to affect their exports down the line. But those who, who rely on you know, regular supplies of, of parts, of whole goods, you know, very, very concerned still, really. And it's now the, uh, just, a, you know, two, three weeks until Christmas. Um, so it is, it is quite unnerving. And as I say, I think we've waited with bated breath uh, for this long. Uh, a lot of people running out of breath and patience at the moment. I think people were forecasting that it was going down to the 11th minute, 11th hour, the 11th day or whatever it is. I think it was going to go right to the wire, whatever happened. Anyway, we will see, no doubt, over the next few days. And this 
podcast may well be published before we know the result rather. Look, uh, looking at the state of our industry, I think this year it would be true to say that we've been in an industry that has been able to trade relatively satisfactorily. Uh, Would you agree in general to that, Keith? Um, Yes, I I would say that the the industry has probably outperformed its own expectations for this year. The dealers generally seem to be okay. I've heard from quite a number that have said they've exceeded previous year's businesses by 10 to 20 percent. Is that in any particular sector or in grounds care or ag or what? Um, Well, the the guard machinery dealers generally have been okay. Some of the ag dealers are reporting good business. Um, Specifically, what areas in their businesses were better, I don't know. Uh, Clima research we were involved in, which is across Europe, would generally suggest that parts and workshops would have had an increase in business. Uh, new machinery sales would have been down, but um, used machinery sales probably the same as the previous year, if not up a bit. Yeah. Um, the dealers generally seem to be fairly happy with what's happened this year, but I would say would be a bit concerned about what's going to happen in 2021. Yeah. Martin, what, what, what's your take on it all? On the ag side, I mean, the past uh, 12 months, uh, in the arable sector haven't been particularly pretty without factoring in virus and, um, and mm-hmm. Brexit. Um, you know, we, we're now in the midst of the second uh, wet autumn in a row. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really help enthusiasm and confidence among, among farmers, among arable farmers, certainly. But, you know, things are picking up a little bit. Tractor sales, I, th- I think, are you know, now holding their own. I suppose there's uh, there's one way to go from yes the yeah. that have been reached you know there are some some bright spots out there people will still need food without studying the obvious and yeah. um, uh, there are some sparks of, of, of confidence here and there i think um the next major worry for the agricultural industry is exactly how some meat will be put on the bones of these new uh, agriculture bill i just to put some numbers on that i see the, to the end of november uh, actually, in November itself, tractor registrations were 22% up, but it meant that the year to date was about 19% down. Uh, but for the last four months, and obviously a lot of that loss came in the spring and early summer, uh, over the last four months, August to November, uh, the, the tractor registrations have been plus 5%. So there, there is movement there. And uh, I think there is hope that uh, it won't be a disastrous um, uh, year in that res- that respect. Um, and machinery sales, do you think, Martin, have, have generally held up? I think, yeah, there's, uh, there's certainly some bright spots out there. There's still a lot of farmers looking at areas such as direct drilling, reduced cultivation, crop establishment, yeah, uh, and, and areas like this where they're looking to, to reduce costs and improve efficiency. So there's, there, there are always some bright spots to, uh, to be found if you look hard enough. Yeah, sure. Now, I guess one of the talking points this year amongst the industry has been the uh, onward march of the super dealers, uh, shall we call them, the mega dealers, uh, mainly prompted by manufacturers and particularly prompted by one manufacturer. What is, is, is there fear and loathing in the, amongst the dealer trade as to this march 
becoming outside their control. Uh, and indeed, quite a number have actually managed to switch horses quite successfully. Uh, Keith, what sort of feedback are you getting from, from the dealers who are impacted by this? The ones that are impacted uh, um, are the more obvious ones with the bigger moves. Um, some recent ones with Lister Wilder and Chandler's. They're going for it. And in, in the case of Lister Wilder and Chandler's, as I understand it, it's an arrangement that they came to between themselves in the end. That's good news, uh, isn't it? Having, having had certain circumstances forced upon them and... I can't say a new player in the game, but uh, a, a very uh, well-established and traditional player in the game actually flexing their muscle now with their dealer yes. uh, structure, which, which is the, the move with Kubota. Very interesting, hopefully very beneficial for everyone concerned, but a, a massive change to what's going on. The concern really we would have as an organisation is with the smaller dealers who may possibly be squeezed out by this and have their areas reduced or affected. But what, what we see is, although there is a change in the landscape to the bigger super dealers, we're not seeing branches being closed or numbers, people numbers being reduced. The industry in a sense is staying the same size. It's just the dynamic of it that's changing. Yeah. Which is, heartening in a way that it's not really affecting the, the people numbers uh, in, in an industry that's pretty tight for people at the moment. The branches are staying in place, which is really to do with what the customer wants in terms of where they can go for their support, service, parts, etc. Yes. You, you can't start taking dealers out and leaving big gaps between service centres, if you like. But there is, a, there is a concern, and we are seeing some smaller dealers wanting to rearrange their businesses so that they're not entirely threatened by a tractor franchise wanting to make a move. Yeah, and I suppose that does beg the question, uh, and it has happened in a few cases in Canada, uh, of dealers um, dispensing with a tractor franchise. Now, that's quite a big move for a dealer, not having a prime mover in his range. But nonetheless, uh, a num number have done it and are doing it quite successfully because there are so many uh, areas of agriculture and maybe grain store and grain removing and goodness knows what that at, um, that wouldn't make it work. Uh, Martin, how, how are you judging things? We've certainly seen, I mean, um, in, in, in recent years, one or two people, um, you know, sustain successful businesses outside of the, of the main tractor franchises. I mean, over here where I'm based in the, um, in the east, uh, you know, there have been some successful implement dealers focused on, on things like drills and tillage equipment. Think of, uh, of examples like uh, Randalls in, in Norfolk, uh, Cambridge Farm Machinery. You know, it does beg the question, is there a, a forward path for some dealerships to focus perhaps on implement lines only? Certainly some of these uh, implement manufacturer specialists will not uh, disappear, I think. Some areas <laughs> will always be too uh, specialist for the, um, for the tractor manufacturers to want to be involved in. You know, the, the, that is a, a, an area of scope and, and, and it's certainly something I've heard from one or two smaller family dealerships 
you know, that they are making greater returns from focusing on tillage and, and, and forage uh, equipment lines than perhaps they are uh, from their tractors. Could we see could we see manufacturer-owned dealerships in the in the future? Do you think uh, it's recently happened in the states where Agco have taken over a two or three branch dealership because presumably there was nobody ready to step into the breach and uh, uh, they needed to protect their market in that particular region. Uh, and certainly, some manufacturers I've talked to. Uh, don't rule it, rule it out. We do know that class went down that route a few years ago, but that hasn't been repeated. Uh, what do you think, Martin? Is Are you hearing anything along those lines? There is regularly perhaps a little bit of talk about how some of the, the, the family-owned dealerships can perhaps afford to expand as much as they're being asked to uh, without some manufacturer backing. So, you know, that is one, uh, one, one possibility perhaps, you know, and I, I don't think it's perhaps anything for, uh, for a dealership to be afraid of to, uh, to take some support available from, from its main franchise. Tractors, uh, combines, farm equipment don't get any cheaper. Uh, you know, dealers have to find a, an awful lot of money to buy whole goods in the first place. Well, it's certainly not for the faint-hearted, and I mean, it does beg the question whether there are a number of well, uh, well-resourced, enough well-resourced dealerships uh, ready to take on some of these major franchises. Uh, what do you think, Keith? Um, it, it's an interesting question, and um, something that we've looked at over the years and, and that we discussed within CLIMA, the European Trade Association group, about the, firstly, the influence of manufacturers over what should be independent dealers. In our case, we looked at where you create a super dealer. If that dealer still remains privately owned, but very much influenced by its supplier uh, and main franchise, if that dealer gets into financial trouble, as you just said, where else does the manufacturer go Mm -hmm. to replace the business? I don't personally think in the UK that there is that much of a willingness for any manufacturer to want to take over a dealership and own it outright. Uh, There's maybe a need for them to have a serious interest in it, uh, but it might come on an odd occasion where the manufacturer simply has to step in to keep the business running because they have no alternative, as you suggested. The UK being a bit different than America or Canada in in the way it's structured. So it's not something that I see happening out of choice, probably the best answer. This no. is one of the one of the flip sides, perhaps, isn't it, for the uh, of the manufacturers' policy? Uh, you you can understand perhaps why they want uh, fewer larger networks as as their customers become fewer and larger, especially in uh, in agriculture. Uh, as you say, it it leaves manufacturers exposed in another way, in that um, yes, if if the dealer hits some financial trouble. Uh, then the chances of finding an alternative dealership to take over areas of this size are very, very small. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and funnily enough, I've asked this question of a couple of recent guests for podcasts. Do global corporates really understand the psychology of being a family independent dealership? And the the answer is is no, because uh, their priorities are different. 
they really are and one is as simple as putting food on the table for their family and their employees and the other one is is a far bigger uh bigger priority sorry chris to interrupt so the other thing that we maybe don't talk about so much is what does the actual customer of the dealership want yes and they don't really want to be dictated to by a single manufacturer or supplier they deal personally with the dealership very much on so. the same family level that you're mentioning I, th I think that's in a way an obstacle to any manufacturer or supplier wanting to take over a business to keep that personal relationship there and that personal motivation going within the business all the discussions i've been involved with ever since i've been in bagma and long before that is that the the manufacturer or supplier needs the dealer network and the dealer needs the manufacturer so one doesn't survive without the other yes um, they just have to learn to live together indeed indeed well dealers are from mars and manufacturers are from venus or whether it's the other way around but i think uh, they do have different different needs and different uh, requirements um, and so it will ever be thus um, in terms of the market in general there hasn't really been any major mergers or acquisitions of, of, of brands i mean there have been the odd ones in recent time i guess class taking over Renault was some time ago but that was one of them but um anybody got their their, their ear to the ground to think uh, whether that might happen particularly after this particular season where which has been difficult for a lot of people uh, what do you think martin are you hearing anything if you suggested to somebody uh, that uh, who had a spare few million yeah. um, that they should perhaps invest it in agricultural machinery, I think they'd look at you with um, yeah. a very strange face, let's say. It's not the obvious sector for um for for any manufacturing company to uh, to make huge profits um but it does seem that you know there are certainly still global companies who are very very active in you know trying to enter new markets we've seen the um uh, the, the chinese make uh, noises about uh, trying to sell uh, beyond their own uh, beyond their own country uh, certainly in the, in, the, in the tractor market and the implement market, uh, you know, we have seen, uh, you know, some more recent um, movements from the major manufacturers in, in becoming full line. So so the, the CNH acquisition of the Kongsgilder business uh, wasn't all that long ago now. But obviously some of this does leave, as, as we said before, the other short line manufacturers uh, in a in a bit of a quandary um, because um, it does start to put pressure on them uh, in terms of how they sell their uh, their balers, their plows, their sprayers against the products of the uh, the tractor manufacturers who their dealers are most closely associated with. It'll be interesting to see over the next year or two. Uh, as I say, the, the industry has consolidated, as you know, uh, uh, an awful lot over the past 10, 20 years. Yeah, uh, there are now perhaps only sort of six major global players in in, in tractors, uh, and and fewer than that in, in in harvesters. You know, times are tough. Times are tight. We shall see what uh, what it brings. Certainly for now, uh, as I say, I think investment in that sort of area seems to have slowed among the major makers. Oh, well, I, I think pretty much the same that uh, there 
there will be some strategic acquisitions to fill gaps in ranges and, and you know produce full line ranges. I don't really see any of the really big companies being bought by somebody else. Uh, no. The, the, the market's pretty much oversupplied anyway. The big will get bigger and the small will get weaker, probably. I suppose the, the obvious one is, is Kubota um, in adding to its full line offering, uh, having sort of obviously got Kubota and other, other um, uh, add-ons as well. But I think that's probably the one to watch. Uh, if, if we turn into a sector of, of agricultural machinery and, and think robots for a moment. Uh, now, robots uh, have done pretty well in the in the gardening market. I mean, they've taken an increasingly major share of, of the lawnmower market um, and are gradually getting accepted. And I, I see uh, Husqvarna have brought out a, a, a mower that's cut 50,000 square meters of grass um, for the commercial turf care market. And there's an awful lot of chat about robots. And indeed, um, in a magazine called Future Farming, only today I see that they've got a, a robot uh, a farm machinery robot magazine with an offering of 35 suppliers of robots ranging in price from £10,000 to £600,000, which are available at this moment to buy, lease or hire. Now, we see a lot of concepts on manufacturer stands at shows, uh, but we don't see anything very much coming onto the market. And presumably, these manufacturers will go out and cherry pick one or two of these uh, specialist uh, developers uh, over the coming years, won't they, Martin? I would think so, certainly. I mean, um, manufacturers like John Deere made a, a huge splash of robotics at, um, at the, the last major international show that we were all uh, all gathered at, at Agritechnica this time last year. I know CNH Industrial have... Um, invested in a number of uh, small companies to uh, to try to gain a, a foothold in this uh, in this market but as you say it's it as with all these things it's it's getting the um, first adopters signed yes. up and obviously the scale uh, in in agriculture is far bigger than the scale in uh, let's say domestic uh, grass machinery for instance yes. So it will be interesting to see who those early adopters are. Um, certainly, um, I believe CNH have um, you know some farms certainly in the states uh, where they're working with autonomous tractor trials. And and of course, you know the, the one uh, major difficulty in in agriculture is a uh, is a is a, an ever shrinking workforce. Yeah. Uh, you know whether it's um, whether it's the the the, the, the lack of. Uh, vegetable pickers that we may have to face as we leave Europe, or whether it's simply the uh, the long hours that um, uh, tractor drivers and, uh, are asked to do at, at times like harvest, and the fact that people increasingly aren't prepared to do uh, these hours, and it's getting harder to find staff. So I think that will drive uh, a lot of this automated development. Um, as with anything like this, you know, the costs initially look prohibitive the potential advantages far into the future and presumably keith it again will come down to the customer i mean uh, i think farmers by and large uh, are a fairly conservative bunch um and uh, they're very rarely be the first to jump into into the the water and swim but um do, do you think that will be the case with, with agriculture as i say it's, it's gradually coming into grass care isn't it yeah, I, th I think in agriculture, 
there are specific tasks that robotic autonomous machines could probably perform quite well. There's all sorts of issues surrounding it. I just find it intriguing that I, I heard a story that in 1985, Massey Ferguson were testing a robotic tractor in Coventry, yet we're still not really using them in any number. So the technology's there and some of the equipment's there. In certain applications, it would be very good. I don't see it rushing along. And I, I think there might be other priorities that people need to look at. But one day it's going to happen and happen in a big way. What uh, This is verging on the, the Brexit issue as well. But recently the announcements came of, uh, about subsidies being uh, removed and phased out from the farming community over the next few years. And the focus being put on more environmentally sustainable farming methods with uh, us uh, importing about 30% of our food already, um, is, there, is there a danger that farming's core purpose of food production might be overlooked? And, and, and how might that impact on, on our industry? Again, a good question and something I decided to look into to educate myself, if nothing else. I mean, the one thing that I, struck me as being quite interesting is we export 30%, sorry, we import 30% of the food we need, but we're actually exporting 60% of our production of food and drink to Europe anyway. Whilst we're talking about subsidies and, and Brexit, there's a, there's a dramatic effect on other European countries about what happens about Brexit, not just our own country. Looking at this and um, looking at some of the NFU studies and that, um, I don't think... It, it's not forgetting about food production, it's rearranging the playing field, if you like, uh, where DEFRA want to produce, want farmers to produce healthy food with, with a profitable and economical, sustainable farm. They're saying that the way they want to do this is by reducing farming inputs, therefore reducing cost and also supporting the environmental goals that they have for farming and agriculture. And I'm sure Martin knows an awful lot more about this than I do. But I found that quite interesting, that whilst you can look at it as a negative, in the long term, <laughs> like all government departments maybe, they're trying to create a positive out of it. Yeah. But no question that it's going to be tough to get there. The uh, the irony is slightly as well that they are in the same breath suggesting that, that that some of what they're talking about and proposing is going to make farming more productive. And it's still very hard for a lot of farmers, I think, to, to tally all these things. Tell farmers currently to be more productive is, um, is not going down well. The farmers that I've spoken to in one breath uh, it's being suggested that they should take land out of production and use fewer crop protection products and less fertiliser. And in the other breath, uh, it's being suggested they should be more productive. So uh, without wanting to get political about it, there's very little meat, it seems, so far in this agriculture bill. And I think that equally is worrying farmers and it's worrying those people that supply the trade because a lot of the detail in there, such as it is at the minute, doesn't sound overly different from what farmers are currently working to anyway, i.e. taking poor land areas out of production, increasing efficiency, 
you know, moving to systems like like uh, no-till drilling to to try and reduce their their fuel use. Uh, so a, a lot of this really um, is sounding rather rehashed, and I think that's that's concerning a few people. On the other hand, you know, there's a level of reassurance that comes from that. Ironically enough, things aren't going to change too much then maybe that's not such a bad thing for farmers or for the trade that supplies them. So uh, yet, yet another watch this space question. Um, there, there's an interesting point in all this that I've picked up. As they're reducing direct payments um, and they'll be replaced by something. So at the moment, people know what they're going to lose, which could be as much as 50% of their current direct payments by 2024, I'm told. Yes. Um, but at the moment, they don't know what they're going to get to replace it. You know, from from a from an industry industry point of view, a dealer's point of view, we might be looking into twenty three, twenty four before there's a knock on effect for, of this from a machinery point of view. But until people know what's happening with Brexit, what's actually going to replace direct payments and everything else that the farmers need, uh, it's very difficult to gauge what really is going to happen. Right, before we, we wrap up, just looking ahead, uh, and we can only look ahead short term at the moment, what's the confidence level amongst uh, dealers and manufacturers out there? Uh, I mean, we've always talked about the major factors that affect this industry, one being the economy and the other being the weather, of which the weather is numero uno, I would suggest. So we can't do anything about the weather. The economy uh well we're borrowing enough so we could borrow some more possibly but but amongst dealers is there from your point of view keith is there a fairly uh a buoyant expectation of next year i i i haven't had too many conversations where buoyant would come into it <laughs> um i i think generally there'll be a very cautious approach because of covid whatever we all think, it's going to be quite a while before that situation is resolved by any vaccine. And then there's the Brexit issues to deal with that will affect the economy in different ways. From a dealer point of view, maybe more the guard machinery side of things, outdoor power, it's the consumer spending issues that may have a, an effect on the dealers and the the changes in retail spending yeah. um, so I, I think generally it's going to have to be a fairly cautious year yes but i think the dealers this year have learned enough about how important they are to their local community and people's well-being uh, so I, I think locally they might have come out of their shells really and cool. they'll have a lot more interest locally i hope think they deserve it to be honest indeed and i think in the uh, professional grounds care market there is a feeling that uh, with so many golf courses um, uh, being closed this year in sports facilities that there could be a reasonable pent-up demand in the market uh, which might come through next year but again uh, is it going to depend on supplies and availability of stock yeah where is the money going to come from where's the money going to come from uh, martin how are you seeing things Certainly, at the minute, I think there's there's as I said, we said before, there's some some cautious uh, optimism out there. Hopefully, there can't be a third wet autumn in a row uh, this time next year. Um, but never say never. 
you know, people are obviously, farmers are obviously making decisions now that are going to impact them way beyond uh, the Brexit date and are making investments, as we've seen from the, as you, the, the sales figures that you, you talked about earlier. Things are climbing back just that little bit. Um, there's still a, a worry there about the cost of reinvestment as well, I think. I have you know, talked with one or two uh, dealers just lately about the, the continuous and unrelenting rise in the... Um, in the cost of equipment uh, and that affects the dealers whether they're buying uh, stock themselves or obviously the customer down the line but um, no it's always good to try and end on, on an optimistic note obviously and I think that uh, you know new year brings new hope and I, and I think that regardless of how Brexit may change our food import export balance you know, there will always be call for for, for produce from uh, you know from the from the home nation to fill um, supermarket shelves. I think there's there's you know with the with the end of every year comes a little bit of optimism in farming. I think maybe because of the experiences of this year, there's got to be a big dose of realism in the relationship between the dealer and the manufacturer. I don't think the manufacturer can go in hard and demand this, that and the other of the dealer. Um, I think they both have to realise that they've in some way got to tiptoe them their way through into the coming months. Uh, and uh, that may well bode well for future business relationships. Who, who knows? And either of you, if, if you got uh, when you hang up your stocking and your mince pie and drink your your, your slug of whiskey uh, by, the, by the fireplace at Christmas, and if you've got a wish list, and goodness knows what our wish list would have been at Christmas <laughs> last year, is there something that you wish for uh, as we go into the new year, Keith? Um, from an industry point of view, um, I would like there to be more stability within the industry i think there's a good amount of it and as you just said really more unity between the dealers and the suppliers because they rely on each other and one doesn't work without the other and from a selfish point of view i'd like to see more bagman members benefiting from what we do excellent so give us a call <laughs> and martin what about you well, i think if you could buy um if you could buy certainty by the caseload in bottles, I think there'd be a huge demand for it. I think more than anything else, farmers and uh, and dealers at the minute just need a, a huge, huge um, boost in, in terms of uh, the certainty with which they can look to the future. That's a very tall order at the minute. Yes. Um, but hopefully if we, uh, you know, down to the wire, if we get a Brexit deal sorted soon, uh, we have some more idea of, of where ag will be going into next year. Certainty would be top of my uh, uh, Christmas tree uh, wish list, I think. Uh, okay. Well, there you are. We um, we started with Brexit and we ended with Brexit. Um, and thus was the case through the previous two or three years. Look, Keith, Martin, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, we've only skipped through a lot of the issues because there are we could have talked about so much more, including shows and goodness knows what. Uh, but uh, that's pay me for another time. But thank you very much indeed. And may I wish you both the compliments of the season if it's not too early. Thank you, Chris. And same to you and you, Martin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Well, thanks to Keith and Martin. That was a fascinating reflection on where we are and, and perhaps where we might be going. The pandemic has had a real impact on people's lives and on businesses. But as we start to see the light at the end of a tunnel, it is Brexit, 
that is once again taking centre stage. I'm Chris Biddle, thanks for joining me, and this is Inside Agriturf. Thank you.